This is Play-By-Play on Life, session number six. The rules of the game were this. For every podcast, I'm going to pose a question, and then I'm going to answer it at the end. Sorry, got to keep playing. Got to listen to the whole thing if you want the answer. Approximately what percentage of time do squirrels forget where they hide their nuts? You'll have to wait till the end for the answer. Here's the podcast. Start your engine. Get them revving. Are you ready to play full out? Shift it to a new gear and accelerate? Great, and buckle up. It's gonna be a wild ride. Don't say I didn't warn you. Welcome to the transformational series, Play by Play on Life. This podcast series provides tips, tools, techniques, and insights on how to reduce stress and increase joy, fun, creativity, inspiration, and passion. I'm your host, Jim Holsconnect. Today with us is Dr. Andy Fuel, Master of Money and Business Psychology. Dr. Andy Fuel is a leading expert in teaching people how to achieve success and become millionaires doing what they love. Dr. Andy Fuel, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me on your program. Well, first of all, if you could describe for our listeners, you know, how you went from being unemployed to a millionaire in under three years. That's that's amazing. Well, actually, it was a, a three-step process, but let, let me take a, a step back. So you, you better understand where I actually came from. I was in corporate America for over 15 years. And as I was in corporate America, I always thought that, well, there had to be more. And the more I thought that it had to be was always getting a promotion. And I literally got promoted almost every single year in corporate America, which is almost unheard of. But every time I got promoted and took on bigger and bigger projects, which I thought would give me happiness, it didn't. It only made things worse. Well, one day I was at a point where I was managing literally a $4 billion program. I mean, it doesn't get much bigger than that. And I was managing this program, and I was just absolutely miserable. Couldn't figure out what was going on. Then, all of a sudden, I got lucky. One day, it was, it was back in 2001, and my manager called me into his office and said, Andy, I'm sorry, but we're no longer going to require your services due to economic circumstances. And I was just so relieved at that point. But I literally went from six figures to zero overnight. Not a fun position to be in. Well, from that point on, I really didn't understand what I was going to do when I grow up. So I had to figure it out. Well, I went through multiple different businesses at that point, and I went six figures upside down attempting to figure this out. That's not a really good, fun position either. Do you think so? No, no, not at all. No. So what I thought of, uh, I thought, okay, I'm going to use my talents. I'm going to use what I had learned in corporate America. The problem was is I couldn't save my soul if I wanted to by doing that. Then all of a sudden, I figured out what the problem was. I wasn't living my life on purpose. Now that, we have been given a God-given purpose. And each one of us has a unique purpose in life. But the challenge is, if you're not expressing your purpose in life, guess what happens? You fail. That's exactly what happened to me. Can you see that? Yeah, I mean, so often, and I think in our lives, you know, we just feel like we 
pursue a path you know by default instead of by design and and to actually find something actually fills us up and is a part of our passion tapping into that it's really powerful once we start doing that then things start happening so i really can see where that was opening up for you as well well good because that brings me to a point what happened with those three failed businesses is i was living what's called an inherited purpose now an inherited purpose is what you inherit from your parents well you should be a doctor a you know, a lawyer, a butcher, a candlestick maker, whatever. You've been told somewhere along the way what you should be. And guess what? I fell exactly into that, tra- into that trap. Go to school, get a good degree, get a good job. That's what I was told. And that's exactly what I did. And when I fell outside of that parameter, it didn't work. So what I had to do is I had to figure out what my true purpose in life is. Now, the interesting part is uh, there's a purpose in life process in my book, Wealth Without a Job. And the big joke is it takes three months and 45 minutes to do it. Three months and 45 minutes. Okay. Exactly. Well, it's three months of procrastinating and 45 minutes to do it. (laughs) Because when when I went through it myself and I actually looked at my purpose in life at first, I was very resistant because I thought, ah, no, it can't be. Well, I found out that it was absolutely true. And the purpose in life process gets you about 90% of the way there on the first go around. And when I first looked at my purpose in life, and then I started looking at the second piece, which is understanding which business expresses that purpose in life, which is also a very key point. And I looked at that and I thought to myself, I'm like, I'm going to starve. I'm going to get real skinny doing this. I I couldn't believe that I could possibly actually make money off of it. But the funny thing about it was when I actually started expressing my purpose in life, and thank God for for my partner at the time, Phil Lott, who was the best-selling author of Money is My Friend and and my co-author of Wealth Without a Job, he said, just go ahead and do it anyway. Okay. So I did it. The funny part about it was, is from that point forward, I very quickly started making money. And in fact, I started really following that deep passion that I had inside. And one of the talents that I've been given was to take large volumes of material, be able to shrink it down, condense it, make it usable, turn it into a process and teach people how to do it so they can be successful. And I never thought I could make money at that. The funny part about it is, in six months, I made half a million dollars. And that's part of the uh, the process that you you outline in your book. And what was really helpful for you in actually identifying, um, you know, the the this passion of of writing, of taking a uh, a lot of material and condensing it down into a process that that then you could utilize to help people and to teach. The purpose in life process actually pointed that out to me because it showed me exactly what were my passions were. And when I looked at those passions and I said, okay, well, how do I transform this into a business? What business would express that purpose in life? And when I looked at that, I says, oh, I get it now. Once I had those two pieces and I asked the right questions, just like I mentioned now, all of a sudden it all came together for me and I could clearly see that this is my key talent. Yes, I do like teaching people. Yes, I, I can do this. And, and yes, I can make money from it. What tools and processes were the most effective, you know, in helping 
you generate wealth. I think you had mentioned you you had utilized some some NLP tools and things like that. Can you say a little bit more about which ones were particularly helpful in in helping you to not only identify your 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 passions but also to um, actively remain focused on them and and put them into you know into action? Okay, that that's a great question. NLP for me was one of those things that came very naturally. When I first discovered NLP through Tony Robbins, I literally took to it like a fish in water. It was almost like there was no effort involved. I just read it once or listened to it once, and I was able to do the process, and I was actually able to help others using that process at the same time. And that's one of the things that really keyed me in. And there was no very specific process per se that really launched the career. What it was is I, when I understood NLP, one of the other key gifts that I have is being able to apply NLP in business. Now, that's something that's been lacking at the time when I first started all this. I mean, NLP is typically used in therapeutic settings, but not so much in business at the time. And so what I did is I literally married NLP to business. And as I put those pieces together, that's when we had tremendous results. You know, what advice would you give someone who's looking to generate wealth and escape kind of the, the nine to five you know, lifestyle and actually tap into their, you know, to their passions? That's a great question. There's three things and it's got to be done in this order specifically. Number one, you've got to get your mindset tuned up. That's the bottom line. If your mindset is that of a job holder, you're going to have a very tough time getting out of the rat race and getting into your own business and being an entrepreneur. So you have to work on that. Now, that all goes even further than that because you also have to get right with money. There's a lot of programming that we have around money. I've actually come across 55 common beliefs around money. And all it takes is just one of those to take you out. That's not a good thing. So when you get your mindset tuned up, then the next step is you go ahead and figure out what your purpose in life is. Now, once you've done the purpose in life process, you can take a look at the output of that and ask the question, well, what purpose expresses my purpose in life? Then you identify that business. That's the business you get into. So let me give you a quick example of what I did with one client, if that's okay. Yeah, sure. There was one client that came to me and he says, Andy, he goes, I, I've got to talk to you. He goes, I've got a really big problem. I said, okay, well, what's the problem? He goes, well, he goes, I'm 70 grand upside down. I said, okay, so what's the problem? And he goes, that is the problem. I says, no, 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 no. I said, being 70 grand upside down, that's not the real problem. I said, what's going on? So he started to explain to me, he says, he goes, I, I'm in this real estate business. And he goes, no matter what I touch, I'm losing money. I said, really? I said, okay, so let's, let's take a step back and let's figure out what you're doing. So I asked him, I said, so what market are you investing in? He says, I'm investing in uh, the Utah market at the time. And it was like one of the hottest markets around. And I thought, okay. I said, that's not the problem. I said, what system are you using? So he told me what system he was using. I said, okay, well, that's not the problem. And I was scratching my head and I says, okay. I said, let me ask you this. I said, are there investors around you making money? He goes, yes. He goes, there are people around me who ha are using no system and they're making money. He goes, but yet I'm going in the hole. I said, ah, I said, I think I know what the problem is. So we sat down and I took him through the purpose in life process. 45 minutes later, we have the purpose in life. I says, now read me your purpose in life. So he did. I said, great. I said, now let me ask you this. 
does that real estate business express your purpose in life? And he goes, no. And I said, okay, do you think we have a problem? And he goes, yes. I said, okay, let me ask you this question. I said, what business would express your purpose in life? And he said to me this, he says, you know, I really love nutraceuticals. Now, me personally, I couldn't sell pills, lotions, lotions and potions if my life depended on it. Because that's not me, right? Right. And I said, okay. I said, so that really turns you on? He goes, yeah. He goes, I love working with nutraceuticals and helping people get healthy. I said, wonderful. And, and I could immediately tell he was all fired up. He had some real passion going for it. I said, wonderful. I said, now. I said, instead of opening up your own nutraceutical company, which is cost prohibitive, I said, I suggested to him, I said, find a network marketing company that is in alignment with the nutraceuticals that you like. He says, okay. So he found one, and here's what happened. Six months after he made the cutover, I also helped him get rid of his real estate holdings, so he was getting rid of his debt. Six months later, he was in the black. Then, after that point, he started making 20 grand a month. Nice chunk of change there. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but you can clearly see at that point, what, what he had done is he bought into what everybody else was doing, which did not express his purpose in life. Even though everybody around him was making money hand over fist, he was losing money because he wasn't living his life on purpose. What I hear you saying is by getting in touch with what your passions are and really tapping into that and honoring that and pursuing that, that's when things really start to open up. Correct. In fact, the first three businesses I failed at was exactly that reason, because I followed an inherited purpose instead of following my true purpose in life. And it was like pushing a rope up a hill. It doesn't work. That's a tough gig if you ever tried that. Yeah. And yet often we, we get stuck in ruts where we're, we're just doing just that for uh you know, years on end and can't figure out why we're not making any progress. What is some of the three ingredients that you talked about in, you know, wealth without a job, the three ingredients to effective change? And uh, can you outline those for our listeners? Sure. The first thing that you have to do is you have to become aware. Now, most of us are running around unconscious. Now, I, I know some listeners are going to have real heartburn with that because they're like, well, I'm aware. Well, yes and no. Yes, you may be aware at a certain level, but there's a lot of stuff that's going on at the unconscious level that you are not aware of. So the first thing is you have to become aware of the problem because how, how could you figure out that you had a problem if you don't know that you have a problem? That's tough, isn't it? Yeah, it's like trying to read the instructions of how to get out of a box when you're inside the box, right? <laughs> exactly. You don't even know you're in the box because you can't see the definition of the box. Well, the mind works exactly the same way. So a lot of times you have to go to a training seminar, you have to read books, you have to listen to audio tapes, and all of a sudden something will trigger you. And then you start to realize you're aware now all of a sudden that you have a problem. Okay, great. Well, now that you are aware of the problem, you can do one of two things. You can do the ostrich method by sticking your head in the sand and hoping that this thing goes away, or you can just accept it. Now, it doesn't mean you have to like it. You just have to accept it. Now, that's an easy enough thing to do. You just say, okay, great. That is my problem. I accept that. That's all you have to do. No big deal. But once you accept it, now you're open to change it. Because if you don't accept it, what happens is you got this resistance to the change. Once you, once you accept it, all that resistance goes away. And now you're open to a method to actually change it. And the last step is just to go ahead and change it. So once you understand it, you accept it, and you're aware of it, you have all those ingredients. Now you're able to go in Find either a person to help you with that problem 
or find the right tools to help you change. It's really great. So often we want to fight and resist in different ways. And as they say, you know, what, you, what we resist persists. So uh, those actual things that we're fighting against and resisting keep them in play. And so by, by just accepting it, what I hear you saying is that, that enables us to actually get beyond that sort of struggle and that, uh, that loop and be able to get outside of it and actually make real positive change. Absolutely, because you, you, you were right. What you do resist only becomes worse. And I, I used to take the approach of, I, I can push through this thing. Well, every time I pushed, the harder I pushed, the more resistance I got back. And what I found out is when you just accept it, it literally just takes the energy right out of it. The wall just drops straight down, and then you can move forward. It's opposite of what we think is supposed to happen. What advice would you give as maybe some of the most effective ways or a most effective way that you found to have a wealth mindset become a permanent part of someone's everyday actions? Well, that's a that's a really great question. In order to have a wealthy mindset, there's a couple of things that you're going to have to do. Okay, Number one, you've got to educate yourself. Get every good piece of material that you can possibly get, like my book, Wealth Without a Job. I've got audio tapes, CDs. You name it. There's a lot of other material. There's a lot of great books out there, a lot of great audio programs. I highly recommend you do a little investigation, figure out which ones are right for you, and start listening to them, start reading, and you do that every single day. You do not skip a day. So every single day, even if you only do it for 15 minutes a day, it doesn't matter. In fact, let me share something with you about a client, if that's okay. Sure. Yeah. This particular client, she came to me and said, I only have an hour and a half a day to work on my business. And she says, but I'm really struggling. And I said, I really feel like I should be doing more prospecting. I said, okay, great. I said, so how are your sales doing? She goes, it's terrible. Now she was doing everything that she possibly could, but it wasn't working. I said, fine. I said, so here's what we're going to do instead. I said, so 45 minutes, what you're going to do is you're going to tune up your mind. And the second 45 minutes in that hour and a half, you're going to go prospect. Now, as you can imagine, what came back was this. But what do you mean? I only got 45 minutes of prospect. How could I possibly make more money doing that? W wouldn't you think the same way? Yeah, you're cutting your the actions, so to speak, you know, in half. I mean, at least that's the perception. Well, that is the perception. And that's a very common perception out there. But here's what happened. So I said, look, I said, obviously what you're doing isn't working. And she goes, yeah, you're right about that. I said, well, great. I said, do you want to keep living the definition of insanity by doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result? And she goes, <laughs> well, no. I said, all right. I said, now quit beating your head against the wall. And I said, test out what I said. And I said, and quite frankly, I said, if, if I'm wrong, I'll be the first one to admit it. I said, but why don't you go ahead and test it? Okay. The next week, here's what happened. Going from virtually no sales, she literally went and had five or six sales just by tuning up her mind for 45 minutes and then prospecting. Wow. That's uh, just by spending the time to go in, it actually helps to generate the results outside. And it's sometimes counterintuitive to what we would think, like like just what the struggle that she was facing right? That I'm going to spend all this time just focusing on my, my thoughts and wealth generation. And that's going to make a difference. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and the, that's the funny part about it. In fact, anytime you get stuck, especially for salespeople, okay? And we're all salespeople. Let, let's get right down to it. 
as a salesperson, if you're having a bad day, if your mind's in the tank, if you're if all sorts of stuff is going on, you have to tune up your mind prior to going in and talking to prospects because otherwise what you come across is desperate. I mean, people pick up on this, not at conscious levels, but unconscious levels. And when they picked up on that, like, hey, <laughs> they're your next mortgage payment or car payment, they go away. You have to tune up your mindset. Yeah, Sandra Ann Taylor, uh, the author of Quantum Success, talks about the law of paradoxical intent. The more desperate you are to achieve a certain result, the more that that needy, desperate energy pushes that outcome away. So I think it's, uh, it's just summed up in exactly what you were just sharing about about that. You know, and we we often send out those signals subconsciously. And we do, and we transmit that through our body, through our tonality. So all this stuff is being transmitted unconsciously and the nonverbal and the tonality makes up 93% of all communication. I mean, that should be a big clue right there. Right, and yeah, I know um, NLP focuses a lot on on those, you know, the audio cues and the visual cues, the body language, things like that. Are there any particular tools within NLP that you can uh, remember that were really helpful for you, uh, whether it's anchoring or some other things that uh, you found were really useful in developing a wealth mindset? Sure. One of the things that really helped tremendously was using submodality. And by using submodalities, you can actually change the internal representations that you have. Because, well, let me just take a step back just in case people don't understand what that really means. So every experience that we have in our life, and I do mean literally every single experience that we have, there is a record in our mind called an internal representation. Now, this internal representation combines all our senses. It records all the data using all the senses. Now, the challenge is if you have a lot of negative stuff that happened in your life, like I did, you have a lot of negative energy around it. Now, around money and being an entrepreneur, there was a lot of negative energy. So what I did is I used submodalities specifically in a very specific way that I teach in my in my training programs on how to get rid of that negative charge. Now, once you get rid of the negative charge, what you notice is, number one, your thinking starts to change. And number two, your physiology, which is the way you use your body, is now communicating to others in a much different way as well. What are some of the things that someone must change, you know, if they want to create more wealth and abundance in their in their life? There's a couple things that they've really got to change. Number one is mindset. I mean, and I love the way Zig Ziglar puts it. If you got stinking thinking, you're going to get stinking results. And he's absolutely <laughs> right on. Yeah, very true. Yeah. So the stinking thinking has got to be addressed right away. And that's what I was talking about earlier with changing your mindset. That's why you want to really tune up your mind and focus on, well, how do wealthy people think? And maybe I should start thinking that way. Even though, I mean, I've, I've dealt with a lot of wealthy people and I've modeled a lot of wealthy people and I've extracted what they did, how they think at an unconscious level. And I actually implemented it in myself and now I, that's what I teach others how to do. And I took those models and I thought, wow, like one of, one of my great friends and mentors, uh, Dr. Dolph DeRoos, who's the best-selling author of Real Estate Riches, and he's also one of Trump's professors. And I was talking to him one day, and he said this to me. He says, you know what? He goes, I love paying more taxes. So I asked him, I said, well, why, why do you say that? And he says, well, he goes, if I'm paying more taxes, that means I've made that much more money. And I was just like, whoa, I've never heard anyone ever say that. 
He goes, now, don't get me wrong. He goes, I like to minimize my taxes. Okay? <laughs> There's he a goes, limit. <laughs> right, there is a limit. He goes, I don't want to reach into my pocket taking, you know, 99% of it. He goes, I, I have a little problem with that. But the object is, if you're paying more in taxes, get get in tune with liking that. He goes, even though that was a negative, if you learn to like it and turn that into a positive where you say, hey, if I'm paying more taxes, I'm obviously making more money. And he's right. Yeah, it's only like a very effective reframe, you know, and, and rather than resisting paying more taxes. Uh, I, I know um, Tony Robbins talks about that when he pays his bills. He actually treats it as a, almost like a thank you and a, and a gratitude sort of exercise when he, when he writes every bill. And uh, so it's just kind of a way to reframe um, the money that's that's going out. And also in Dolph's case, it sounds like he's creating almost a, a partnership with the government instead of sort of this adversarial kind of relationship. I can see where that would make a huge difference in generating more wealth, you know, and just having a, that reframe different perspective about it. Absolutely. And in fact, remember again, I mean, remember what we talked about with the resistance. The more you resist, the more it persists. So if you're resisting paying those taxes, guess guess what you're going to do automatically? You're going to stop yourself from getting more wealth. It's really a, a great way to, to reframe the whole process. So. Absolutely. And, and the other thing that we have to do is we also have to tune up our mind to get rid of the negative programming around money. Like, here, here's a great belief that most people have. Money doesn't grow on what? Trees. How did you know the answer to that? <laughs> that social conversation, those social conversations that we inherit are very, very powerful. Yeah. It, exactly. How about this one? Money is the root of all? Evil. <laughs> oh, really? Is How did you know that one, too? I'm just a mind reader, right? <laughs> I, I guess so. You must be really good at this. Obviously, at some level, you must have heard this, and you must know this at an unconscious level. Otherwise, you would not have been able to answer. Now, do you think that if you know about those things, that those things might be affecting you? Definitely. Yeah. And this is the point. Like, Let's take a look at the, the like one of them in particular. Money is the root of all evil. Well, let's break this down. Is money evil, yes or no? No. No, it can't be, right? It's paper, money, and plastic, or right? right? That's it. Right. Paper, metal, or plastic. Okay, so paper, metal, or plastic cannot be evil. So what makes it evil? It's the user of that money. And the user, what money does is money just makes you more of who you already are. Okay, yeah. so if you're an evil person, guess what? You just become more evil. However, let's say you didn't have that belief. If you have more money and you're a good person, doesn't that just make you more of a good person? Because now you can give away more money, you can help more people, right? Yeah, mm -hmm. Okay, so it's a twofold thing, but if you have this belief that says money is evil, you will avoid money at all costs because you don't want to be evil, do you? No. No. So by law, right there, you will self-sabotage yourself in every possible way that you can imagine to get rid of that money because you don't want to be evil. Now, let's take a look at what the truth around that is, if that's okay. Definitely. Okay, so this was misinterpreted somewhere along the way, but if you look at the actual scripture from the Bible where this came from, it's for the love of money is the root of all evil. Now, where did we lose that first chunk? Just interpretations over the years. and. So now let's take a look at that for what it is. Okay, so for the love of money, all right, so if I love money more than I love anything else, that is evil. However, if I love helping people, then money is no longer evil, is it? No. No. 
But if I focus on loving the money, so I'm just going out there and hoarding it for myself, and I'm just like, I just want more, I want more, I want more, I want more. That's when it becomes evil. Now, once you understand what that belief really is all about, just like I explained, now, if you really enjoy helping a lot of people, is it better to have a little bit of money or a lot of money? To help more people, it's better to have a lot, a lot of money. Absolutely, because yeah. let's face it, if you're broke, how many people are you gonna help? Not too many. Not even yourself, really. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) To be accurate, zero, because you can't even help yourself. Right. All right. So if you want to help a lot of people, I mean, people have asked me this in seminars. It's like, well, how much money is enough? I said, well, how many people do you want to help? Like, well, I'd like to help the world. I said, well, then as much as you can possibly make. Yeah. And really that just creates a more powerful context for generating and the reasons why you want to generate wealth. Exactly. But you have to look at what's the motivation behind generating the wealth. And that that leads me to another point about what do people have to do in order to generate more wealth. Zig Ziglar said something great here, too. It's like if you help enough people get what they want, you get what you want. And he's absolutely right, because it's all about service. If you're providing enough service to others instead of worrying about your paycheck, your paycheck will automatically increase. So when you looked at your passions, did you actually look at them from through the with the idea of how can I use this passion to benefit the most people and to, and to be of service? Exactly. And as soon as I started doing that, because initially when I started out, because I had all these weird and wacky beliefs uh, from my parents, but I'm not going to blame them here because I know they did the best job that they could. And I'm suggesting to all the listeners here, don't blame your parents. Okay. They did the best job they could too, because they can't give you something they didn't have. Now, when I had those beliefs, I was looking out for me. When I did that, I was going broke. When I changed that belief around and I said, okay, how can I take my passion and my purpose to help as many people as I possibly can? As soon as I started implementing that, it was, it was like this, wealth without a job. When my partner and I, we submitted that to literary agents, literally, in the, we had four literary agents breaking down our door. And these are New York literary agents. I mean, that's unheard of. You're lucky if you get one of them. Once we had that, The next thing we knew, we got picked up by Wiley & Sons, which is one of the largest publishers in the world. Now, why is that? Well, the reason that was is because wealth without a job was actually generated to help a lot of people. The whole change in service attitude flipped from servicing self to servicing others. With the methods in wealth without a job, we were able to help thousands and thousands and thousands of people, and that's why it became a bestseller. So what are some of the ways that you know that people can earn an income that they want to earn you know in doing work that they that they love what are some effective daily practices that someone can do to to stay on track with that and and to you know tap into that and to make sure that they're that they're staying in tune with that on a daily basis okay excellent so first of all we've got to make sure that two things are in play number one you've got to make sure that your mindset's tuned up every single day period no further discussion on on that. You have to do that because if at any point in time your mind is in a tank, it's not going to work. Number two is you have to be living on purpose. So if you've gone through the purpose in life exercise and you've identified the business that you're going to pursue, at that point, you already have the major foundational pieces to your business. And what most people do is they work their business backwards. And let me explain what that means. So most business owners, and, and you can 
you can tell me if you can relate to this. Most business owners, what they do is they say, oh, you know what? I have to learn more how to sell. I have to learn some new closing techniques. I have to learn uh, how to handle objections. I have to learn how to do accounting. I have to do blah, 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 blah. Well, those are important things, aren't they? Yes, they are. Okay. And isn't that where most people focus their energy? On the on the hows, really, on right? On the hows, right. Yeah. 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 Okay. So to, pr uh, to produce different results, it's like I have to improve my sales skills. I have to improve my accounting skills. I have to improve my business skills, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, here's the problem. That is only about 10% of your business from a foundational perspective. You want to know what the 90% is? What's that? The 90% is having a mindset, your purpose in life, and expressing that purpose. That is 90% of the game. You can be horrid at sales and make way more money than a salesperson who is very proficient at selling, but they are not living their life on purpose. I always think about your business as a skyscraper. So if you're going to build up a skyscraper, you're going to have to have a very wide and deep foundation. Because if you start going up in your skyscraper, and let's say you manage to get three stories up, and you have no foundation, no real solid foundation, what's going to happen to that structure? Yeah, it's not going to go up very far before no, it comes down. Be trouble, right? But if we build our foundation solid, deep, wide, and that's all about purpose, mindset, really getting those things deep down, and it's a whole way of thinking, getting rid of all those old negative beliefs around money, getting rid of all those old negative beliefs around business, et cetera, et cetera. All that stuff is all part of mindset. Once you have that tuned up, how high can you bank your skyscraper? It's pretty much unlimited. It is unlimited. In fact, here's what happened to me. In the beginning, I'll, 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 I usually don't share this with very many people, but I will share it here because in the beginning, I was absolutely awful at sales. I mean, awful. I had an engineering background. Now, engineers do not know how to sell. I guarantee you. Because we're so analytical, we have to think everything through, and selling is exactly opposite of analytical. There is no logic in this. It's all emotion. When you really start understanding that I was terrible at sales, but what happened was is when I started living on purpose, I got excited. I was happy. I was motivated. And guess what? The excitement rubbed off on people even though I was terrible at sales. And people started buying. Well, it's really, really great because you know we're talking about like, focusing on who you're being in the matter, and uh, rather than the doing, you know, and also focusing on the why instead of the how. I think it was Nietzsche who said, if you have a big enough why, then the hows take care of themselves. And I think that's really true. It just uh, illustrates kind of what you're sharing here. You, you bet, because. Most people, their why is focusing on self and their own pocketbook. That's the problem. Mm, now, if, you, right. if that's your why, I guarantee you, your pocketbook is going to be very small. But if your why is big enough and, it's, and it says, okay, my why is to help thousands of people with, you can fill in a blank. What is your purpose in life? What do you do? So like my client with the nutraceuticals, his deal was, his why was, I want to help thousands of people be healthy. I'm tired of seeing these people sick. Uh, you think that's a pretty good why? Absolutely. That's why he started making 20 grand a month. That's why he started making that money because his why radically changed. Before it was, how can I put money in my pocket through this real estate boom? That was his why before. How well did that work? Not too well. 
No, 70 grand upside down is a, a pretty good result to show that it wasn't working well. <laughs> All right, we're heading in the opposite direction, people. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's kind of like, okay, pay attention. This this result is not in your best interest. Yeah, financial so, statements are a great, uh, great indicator of what's so on the court, right? Absolutely. In fact, this is what I tell every one of my students. I says, you know what? I said, I don't have to give you a report card on how well you're doing. And they said, what do you, what, what do you mean? I said, you already get one once a month called your bank statement. I said, that's your report card. What are some of the top energy wasters and how can people, how can they avoid them? Okay. That I love because th this is the A number one killer, emails. Most people operate email this way. They see the little icon that comes up and says, you have mail. They instantly stop what they're doing. They go check their email. Once they're done, they come back and now they're going back to work. Well, here's what happens in reality. So you take this interrupt, you lose the total train of thought. You go and take care of the email, which is an interrupt usually takes about 10 to 15 minutes to get that done. Then you come back and it takes you another 15 to 30 minutes just to figure out where you left off and get your train of thought back in order to get back on track. Here's a better way to handle email. So number one, you schedule a time a day or multiple times a day where you take a block of time and that's all you do. You just answer email. That's it. Or you write your email. So like for me, I only email once a day. That's it. That's the max I do. I have a chunk of time where that's where I do it. And, that, and the rest of the day, I turn it off. I don't even look at it. The icon never pops up. So I don't, I, I have no clue. Do I have email or not? I don't know. I have no idea. I don't care either because I am focused on what I'm doing. So let's say you're in a heavy customer service type business where you have to answer. So what you can do is you can take multiple chunks. So what you do is first thing in the morning, have a block of an hour. Maybe at noon, another block of an hour. Maybe mid-afternoon, another block. So this way, you still have chunks of time in between where you can focus on actually building the business instead of just running the business. Because if you're just running the business, you can't build. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah, it's working. the difference between working in your business and work, working on your business. Correct. Absolutely. And that is a very key point. Email, like I said, a number one big killer. Phone is the second thing. Well, when I'm in meetings, on interviews, things like that, what do I do? I unplug everything. So I have zero distractions. And what do you think I do with phone calls? How often do you think I return phone calls? Once a day. Once a day. That's it. I do it once a day. Everybody that deals with me understands that that's all I do. I, I return them once a day. And that's the way you do business with me because I have focused time to work on my business, building my business, and I keep moving forward. Those interruptions are absolutely awful. That's why you've got to become focused. And you can also use email more effectively as well when you tell people, instead of calling me, email me, tell me exactly what you want. Email will actually force people to give you a more succinct answer. Voicemail, it's kind of like, yeah, hey, give me a call back. Well, you give them a call back, and the next thing you know, you're on the phone with them for a half an hour. Right. It just kills the day if you're responding to them as they come in. Or if you had to a couple of times a day, depending on what your business is, because some businesses require more interaction with the client. Would you get a lot more time back in your life? Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Would, would you be able to build your business instead of just maintaining your business? Definitely. Yeah. And in fact, when you're maintaining your business and not building your business, you're actually going downward. Because guess what? At some point, 
there's a life expectancy for every customer. So if you're not continually building along the way and customers start dropping off, the next thing you know, you have no customers and now you're going to be in panic mode. Right. And as we saw before, that's just going to attract not what you want, but more of the same, right? Exactly. (laughs) Well, think about it. If your mindset is that of panic, what are you going to attract? More panic. More panic. Not a good place to be. (laughs) Definitely not. Dr. Fuel, what are some actions that someone can do right now to improve their financial situation and to develop a plan for the future? Oh, that's that's a great question. So first of all, again, I'm going to go right back to mindset. You've got to work on your mindset. You've got to find your purpose in life. You've got to find that right business. And th- this is going to be a shocker for, for some of you because I, I know students have come up to me and says, but you know what? I've been in this business for five years. And, and I'm like, and how well is that working for you? I said, get rid of it. I said, it's wasting time. It's wasting money. You're not doing anything. I said, you can't even feed yourself. I'm like, why hang on to it? Get rid of it. You have to be in the right business. So with Wealth Without a Job, there's actually 32 different methods in that book that go from A to Z on entrepreneurship. It actually takes you through the mindset piece. You find your purpose in life. You can discover what it is, what business that will follow that. And you can, it also has a planning section in there where you can actually plan. It shows you exactly step-by-step step what you have to do in order to develop your business. So that's a great way to go. It's very succinct. It, it, it just takes you through. The one thing I will suggest though is take your time. Take your time. And if you don't use wealth without a job, that's fine. You'll just have to assemble those various different tools with multiple sources. So you can do it either way. And in addition to your book, Wealth Without a Job, um, what are some of the things maybe that, that you can recommend that uh, maybe are on your bookshelf, you know, some of the tools that you've used and some of the exercises, books, uh, materials that you've used over the over the years that have really helped you that you could recommend? Okay, that, that, that's good. Uh, Anything from Tony Robbins is really good. What what I would suggest, though, is get his earlier stuff. Get his earlier stuff. Like Awaken the Giant Within. That was an excellent resource. Or Unlimited Power. That's another great resource. I've used numerous different NLP materials. I, I can't necessarily recommend any one of them. Uh, they're all good in their own way, and it may be right for you or not. If you uh, you definitely want to get a hold of John Maxwell's materials on leadership, because as a business owner, you are a leader, and you want that leadership mentality because what you're doing is you're actually leading your prospects. Even if you have nobody working for you, you're still leading your prospects. So that's another great resource that has helped me tremendously over time. You want to also get anything in your hands that will help your mindset. Most NLP materials will do that. There's a lot of other things. If you're looking at like Zig Ziglar, Bob Proctor, a lot of that stuff is also good to help tune up your mind. Excellent. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Fuel, for your valuable insights and information today and for the valuable work that you do. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And it was a real pleasure being here. To all of you, this is your host, Jim Holsconnect with Dr. Andy Fuel, wishing you all the best. May you always dream your life and then live your dream. Thank you for listening. Approximately what percentage of time do squirrels forget where they hide their nuts? About half the time, squirrels forget where they hide their nuts. If you like this podcast, go to playbyplayonlife.com slash iTunes. You'll need an iTunes account to leave a review. It's free. Click on ratings and reviews. Feel free to leave comments if you can. Subscribe to the podcast. 
If you have ideas on topics that you'd like to see covered in this podcast series, go to our contact section at www.playbyplayonlife.com contact. Your feedback is really important to us, you guys. We're building this thing together. So give us your feedback. Let us know what you want to hear, what topics you'd like to see, and we will do our best to put it up. So until next time, go out there, choose to play today, make it a priority, shift it to a new gear, give yourself permission to play full out and make the whole world your playground.